Dr. Nee Cordelai Corte is a national news anchor, political journalist, educator, and trusted community leader who's been featured over the years on programs ranging from Oprah Winfrey's show to MSNBC's Sunday show with Jonathan Capehart. In his most exciting chapter yet, Dr. Corte serves as a national anchor of the revamped nationally syndicated and streaming Black Report on Fox Soul. He is also the moderator of a More Perfect Union radio show and chief national political analyst for the new KBLA Talk 1580. When not on television, streaming, radio, or podcast, he's proudly serving his alma mater as an adjunct professor at the Pepperdine University Graduate School of Education and Psychology by facilitating the learning of existing and emerging change makers enrolled in the Social Entrepreneurship and Change Program. This highly regarded changemaker with expertise in organizational leadership, corporate responsibility, and street credibility and community engagement has worked over two decades as an effective advocate and organizer on policy issues related to racial equity, campaigns and elections, human rights, identity, and culture. During the 2020 election cycle, Dr. Corte served as senior policy advisor to the Biden-Harris presidential campaign, and for over half a decade supercharged AARP's community, state, and national multicultural affairs work as the first AARP senior advisor and national LGBTQ liaison. His commitment to facilitating narrative, culture, and policy change led him to complete his doctoral in organizational leadership and master's in social entrepreneurship and change at the Pepperdine University Graduate School of Education and Psychology. He earned his Bachelor of Arts degree in political science and critical approaches to leadership from the University of Southern California. So let's get to it and welcome Dr. Nee Cordelai Corte. Dr. Nee Cordelai Corte, welcome and thank you for joining me. Thank you for inviting me, John. It's a pleasure. So listen, we're enjoying a beautiful winter evening here in the Finger Lakes region of New York. Where are you calling in from? Well, I'm calling in from Detroit, Michigan. This is where uh, I am five days a week, where uh, we film our uh, newscast. It's Fox Soul's Black Report. Uh, the show used to be in Los Angeles. They moved the show to, to Detroit. Uh, as a part of a relaunch that I've uh, had a chance to be a part of. And so uh, I'm over here uh, chilling, literally and figuratively, <laughs> in Detroit, Michigan. Fantastic. You know, many years ago, I was in Detroit uh, for a brief period of time, uh, many years ago, by the way. And what I recall is just what a vibrant, wonderful city it was at that time. And I know that they've been through a lot of trouble. So how are things looking on the other side of all of that for Detroit from your perspective? That's a good question. I'm, I'm really still trying to wrap my arms around uh, uh, the, the feel of Detroit. Uh, I've had a chance to uh, get out and about a little bit since I arrived here in September. Uh, but my sense is that you're right. You know, Detroit is still uh, recovering. Uh, from the Great Recession. Um, but I think there's a lot more investment here in Detroit, it looks like. Uh, I know the, the tech industry has a presence here. Obviously, Fox Soul uh, decided to 
relocate uh, the show from Los Angeles uh, to Detroit in part because Fox Television wanted to be a part of this sort of uh, resurgence uh, of Detroit, of greater Detroit. And so, uh, you know, I would say that that there is uh, some cautious optimism here. Um, you know, it's one thing for there to be an increase in investment in places like Detroit, but it's another thing when native Detroiters who have been here in some cases for generations, when they get to partake uh, in that investment, when they get to be principally a part of that resurgence. And so I haven't been here long enough to quite make heads or tails of that part, uh, but uh, uh, I hope to to figure that piece of the puzzle out sooner than later. Wow. You know, it sounds a lot like change management 101. The people who are subject to the change should be involved in it. Absolutely right. It's also organizing mm, 101. Yeah. Uh, you know, making sure that the people that are most impacted by said issue, you know, are principally a part of developing those solutions. And, um, you know, John, I don't know if you know this, but, uh, you know, I've been an activist, you know, most of my life. You know, I started off as a student organizer when I was 13 years old. And so it's always been a part of my personal and or professional work. Uh, it is a part of what motivates me to pay it forward and, and to give back. And um, and I want to make sure that your listeners understand that activism, you know, can look a bunch of different ways. There's no one way to be an activist. Uh, I'm thinking back to when I was in graduate school, working on my dissertation, uh, and I you know, wrote a dissertation on how executive champions influence corporate activism on LGBTQ rights. And my dissertation chair, Dr. Farzi Majidi, who is now the dean over at the Pepperdine Graduate School of Education and Psychology, um, I'll never forget this. He said to me, so looks like we're going to write an activist dissertation. Mm. And I never heard those two words paired together. Uh, and so I, I, I use it as an example of this, the many ways in which people can uh, flex their their skills and their commitment and their values as activists. Wow. What what a beautiful invitation. Thank you for that. Thank yeah. you. So with you have such a broad portfolio of things that you have done and are doing and want to do. So I'm just kind of curious with all of that going on, is there anything that stands out to you as something that you are working on or toward that really excites you? Well, I'm really excited about this chapter in my life and career. Uh, for a big chunk of my career, I had you know worked in public affairs and um, uh, policy advocacy, campaigns and elections. Uh, and in fact, we actually met you know, way back at AARP, uh, when I was working in our community state national affairs division, right. uh, advancing um, uh, LGBTQ and other multicultural work. Uh, and since then, I have transitioned back to my first <laughs> love, journalism. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's no time like the present to speak truth to power. There's no time like the present uh, then uh, to... Uh, be a part of the vanguard of folks that are able to cut through the noise when it comes to this epidemic of misinformation and disinformation that we see uh, in 
our democracy and democracies around the world. And so, you know, these days I'm having a lot of fun as a news anchor for Foxhole's Black Report. Each and every day, five days a week, we get to take viewers on a journey across Black America telling, you know, stories that, you know, maybe don't don't make uh, other newscasts uh, as they should. Stories that uh, really uh, help folks to 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 see the humanity uh, of the Black community uh, in a different way. Um, we pride ourselves in in sharing sort of you know uh, our views and 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 our voice. And I've really had a lot of fun being a part of the relaunch of Foxhole's Black Report, but. Uh, outside of the studio, uh, I enjoy the work that I'm doing at Pepperdine, my alma mater. Uh, I've been serving as a professor in the Social Entrepreneurship and Change Program. Uh, that's been really fun. Uh, and, you know, I also serve on several boards, including um, most recently becoming board co-president of the Outfest Board, uh, uh, which, uh, you know, is investing in uh, LGBTQ uh, leaders and storytellers uh, that are really making a major difference uh, in the entertainment industry and beyond. And so, you know, my portfolio, you know, has uh, is is been it's 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 a rich portfolio. It's a dynamic portfolio. Uh, but each and every day I wake up, and this is real talk, John. I feel that wow sensation. Wow, I get to do this with my life. I get to do this, you know, for a living. I get to do this as uh, a part of, you know, doing my part to build a more perfect union, uh, you know, and and it feels great. I feel energized by it. Um, and the last thing I'll add, John, um, is each and every day I get to report on change makers. I get to work alongside change makers on various boards and various other efforts. Um, and I get to do my part to educate the next generation of existing and emerging change makers. And so how could I not feel like I was living a meaningful life, uh, given the portfolio that that uh, that I have today? You know, that is really, really powerful. And thank you so much for sharing that. And, and congratulations on the Outfest opportunity. That sounds really terrific. Thank yeah, you. You bet. Well, well, listen, so let's dive in here a little bit because, you know, as you've described your portfolio and the work that you're doing and the things that excite you, it strikes me that you are very connected. And our theme for, for this uh, episode is connection. And because you have such a diverse uh, portfolio and wide ranging kind of points of view, I'd be really interested in just in general, you know, how do you think about or how do you experience connection in your own life? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think fundamentally, uh, I see myself in the consciousness business. Um, you know, through my journalism work, I'm able to raise consciousness by sharing information, by amplifying the voices of people in the arena that are doing the heavy lifting. Uh, by passing the mic to change makers, I'm able to raise consciousness um, in the classroom in terms of exposing my students to different leadership models and leadership theories, and um, occasionally classroom speakers that are industry leaders uh, themselves. Uh, you know, I'm I'm able to raise consciousness, and so uh, ultimately, I think 
you know, that is a very important ingredient, uh, ingredient when it comes to building connection, building connection. It's, it's being able to, to get to the heart of issues, uh, but also being able to get to the heart of individuals. Uh, and, you know, oftentimes I talk a lot about our humanity. Uh, and, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't point out, you know, the, that, you know, how much the murder of George Floyd in 2020, um, how much that really sort of shook so many folks across the United States and around the world, um, it awakened us. It, awake, it awakened us, it raised consciousness around, you know, the uh, severe uh, acts of racial injustice that we see and other forms of injustice that we see. And it reminded us that it's on all of us to do our part. It may not look the same, you know, but it's on all of us to do our part to raise consciousness. And so I really see that as a key ingredient to creating connection. Um, and maintaining connection, uh, and and so you know I'm I'm um, that experience is a part of really what led me back to my first love. You know I was doing very different work before that, um, and didn't feel like I was living out my God-given potential. I didn't feel like I was doing quite everything that I could do, and more importantly, I felt disconnected. And sometimes when you feel disconnected from your from yourself on like a soulful level, when you feel disconnected with that, um, some other folks might 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 uh, relate to, you know, sometimes feeling like you're going through the motions in life, or feeling like you're doing work that isn't all that meaningful, um, or soul sucking, mm-hmm. as some people might say. Um, you know, others might even uh, have said that uh, Beyonce's hit "Break My Soul." Uh, was probably their theme song before they decided to do things differently. But, um, you know, the the pandemic, I think it yielded a lot of unwrapped gifts if we were courageous enough to take self-inventory. Um, it's, it's amazing how when we long for connection, um, you know, that process of finding connection and building connection um, can actually lead us to... Uh, a more meaningful and fulfilling life. I know that was the case for me. Wow. And, and thank you for mentioning the, uh, mentioning George Floyd and and the pandemic. And I'm just curious what your thoughts are relative to that. So from a connection standpoint, what is your belief about what might make a difference as we move forward uh, in our, on our current trajectory in terms of how we relate with one another from a connection standpoint. So how can that be, I guess, an impetus for us to think about connection differently? Yeah, well, I think first we've got to think about empathy differently. And I'm reminded of uh, a Greek philosopher that Dr. Maya Angel used to quote often, uh, Terence, uh, where Terence it said that, uh, you know, basically, um, I am human, therefore nothing human could be alien to me. I'll say it again, I'm human, therefore nothing human can be alien to me. And I think sometimes, you know, we, we forget that, you know, our humanity is intertwined. You know, our skin colors may be different, our sexual orientations, you know, may be, you know, different. Our genders may be different if we subscribe to a gender at all. 
uh, you know, but at the end of the day, we're all human. And, you know, it, you know, loss is loss. You know, watching, you know, a mother or father have to bury their kid, you know, um, is something that most folks would agree, you know, uh, parents shouldn't have to do. Right. You know, but we see too often that in certain communities that that happens uh, with great frequency. Right. And so, you know, uh, I think one of the uh, challenges that we will continue to have if we don't uh, get a handle on it and raise consciousness is is uh, we're going to have a crisis of connection. And I think we got a dose of it during some of the darkest days of the pandemic. Um, you know, technology is great. Uh, I love, uh, you know, the latest apps and the latest, uh, uh, you know, mobile phones and, and, and all the other gadgets love those, you know, but there's a point by which those gadgets create a separation, uh, and where there is separation, it's hard to be in community. Uh, and, you know, I know that, you know, community could show up in different forms you know, but without community, um, without that connection to community, uh, life can be pretty hard to, uh, to, to live. And the last thing I'll add, John, is that uh, when I say crisis of connection, I'm not, you know, being overly dramatic. You know, there's research out there of late uh, that shows sort of the mental health crisis that we're experiencing in the United States and I'm sure other parts of the world, um, you know, an epidemic in suicides, you know, an epidemic uh, in all sorts of mental health crises. Um, I know my uh, older brother, James, uh, died by suicide uh, almost 20 years ago. Um, and I think about him often uh, and the healing path on that has been long. Uh, and one of the hardest th thoughts to have to live with is, is how disconnected my brother might have felt, uh, you know, uh, in the final moments of his life. Uh, and it's hard to, to sit with the fact that, you know, somebody that you were blood relatives with, somebody that you're close with, somebody who, in my case, he taught me how to, how to ride a bike, right? Uh, that, 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 uh, closeness was, may not have been close enough. That connection might not have been as connected as I thought. And so I think that's also part of what fuels me um, to, to do my part to bring people to God. Thank you for sharing that very poignant story. Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that you, you mentioned there was sort of the social aspect of things. And, and clearly there's been a lot of data coming out lately. Uh, and you hear, you see headlines like this about the epidemic of loneliness and thinking about loneliness as a public health issue in some ways. So it sounds a little bit like that part of what you might see as an antidote to that is this consciousness, this raising the consciousness around connection as perhaps a, a pathway uh, to battle that kind of epidemic of loneliness and despair. Absolutely. I mean, I would even go as far to say I think community is, you know, sometimes I think we give short shrift to the power of community, the power to heal, the power to bring people together, the, the, power, the power to empower. Uh, 
I think sometimes we give short trip to that, you know, but, you know, I'm a living testament that, you know, some of the most challenging times in my life um, and also some of the most joyful times of my life. I can remember being in community with folk, you know, the kind of house that I grew up in, um, you know, all were welcome. You know, we had the corner house and that uh, folks in the neighborhood and, and you know, uh, school, our, our school friends and family felt welcomed uh, uh, coming to. Uh, and so, you know, I want to encourage your listeners to really tap into the power of community in all different forms. You know, whether it's whether it's a group chat that you may be on, you know, or, you know, it's, uh, you know, a, uh, a virtual, you know, book club or wh- what have you, you know, or, you know, it's, you know, agreeing to meet, you know, first Fridays of the month over drinks or or wherever with with whoever you're in community with. But, you know, don't underestimate the healing power of it. We can't we can't do this thing called yeah. life, as Prince used to say. Uh, we can't do it alone. Yeah. You know, I, I'm re- as you say that, I'm reminded of something that my wife and I shared. Uh, just last night, we were watching a television program, and uh, the bottom line is there was a, a scene with an AA meeting, and there were two people in that AA meeting. And what struck me as I was sort of watching that scene unfold is there's no community there how can this really be impactful or helpful with only two people? Now, to be clear, I I know that it can be impactful and helpful, but the power that comes from having a community around that and around that person is substantially more than just you and I together, for example. That's right. That's right. That's right. I mean, you know, so my name, Nikordali, it comes from Ghana. That's where my dad was born and raised. My mother is Black American. She was born and raised in Florida. They met in college in Texas and had me many years later in California. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I bring up my parents because I remember so many stories about the power of the communities that helped to shape them in their very early years. You know, my dad is a part of the Ga tribe in Ghana. Um, you know, my grandfather, you know, was very respected sort of community leader. He was a minister. He believed in the power of education. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, he learned that one of the reasons why a lot of women uh, weren't coming to church regularly is because they didn't have childcare. And so, you know, he built a nursery on one of his proper properties uh, adjacent to the school. And then uh, some years later, he uh, actually built a K through eight school uh, for students that graduated from the nursery into to going to school. And so I say all that to say that, again, community can show up in lots of different ways. And, you know, uh, my family tree, my family history is a testament to that. Wow. Absolutely. Well, listen, I am picking up a few things here from the conversation today. So I really, really appreciate this idea of there being more than one way to be an activist. And also this piece that we're talking about right now, the power of community as it relates to connection and consciousness. So thank you for that. You're, you're, you're welcome. And, and John, you know, um, I'm reminded that, uh, you know, in college, in undergrad at the University of Southern California, one of the 
folks that was a mentor to me that I was in community with was his name was Willis Edwards. And he was on the national board of the NAACP. And one of the things that he said to us as young students, um, as young student activists, he um, he made it easy. He made it less intimidating for us because he said, do what you can from where you are with what you have. And I've never forgotten that. That's that's remained an organizing principle uh, that I, you know, govern my my life by. Do what you can from where you are with what you have. And I think when folks lean into that, um, being an activist in whatever way, shape, or form becomes a whole lot less intimidating. It certainly does. And just hearing you say that out loud feels like it gives me a lot of freedom as well. So again, thank you for that. That is a wonderful uh, way for us to wrap up for today. Well, thank you, John, and thank you for all that you're doing and the consciousness that uh, you're raising on this podcast and beyond. Thank you very much. You know, it has just absolutely been my honor and privilege to have you here today. And, and thank you again for sharing such deep and personal stories with us. Anytime. Thank you, Dr. Corte. I'm really honored to have had this conversation with Dr. Nee Cordelai Corte. You know, when he talked about George Floyd and the social unrest and one of his favorite quotes, I consider nothing that is human alien to me. It really struck a chord with me. And when I think about the power of connection, I think about the humanity that we all experience. And to Nicordelai's point, raising consciousness seems to be one of the most profound things that we can do for ourselves and for the, those around us to help spur and create more connection. I also really appreciate how he discussed empathy and the role of empathy in creating greater connection. And then finally, how he discussed community and how powerful community is in creating connection. And along those lines, he gave a few tips about community and his hypothesis, it sounded like to me, was you know creating greater community clearly creates more connection. And just to start from where you are. I have an additional suggestion just to consider as you go forth in your day, uh, nothing extra for you to do, except just to be a little bit more intentional in your interactions with others. For example, let's say that you are in a line waiting for your favorite coffee. And during that moment, find the space just to set an intention for yourself about how you want to interact with that barista. Perhaps they've had a long day and you want to express your own version of empathy or care for them. So just give that a try. And then at the end of the day, just reflect back for a moment. Did that matter? Did you feel more in tune with or more connected with that person as a result of your intentionality? Give that a try. And once again, I, I'm just honored 
and awestruck in many ways by our conversation today with Dr. Nee Cordelai-Corte. Please join me again for our next episode, and I'll look forward to seeing you soon. Take care.